0: Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazines podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack. And before we get into this week's episode, I have a bit of a warning. Our May delivery is on its way to subscribers as I speak, containing not one but two brilliant magazines. And in this week's episode, we're going to talk about one of them. So if you're a Stack subscriber and you haven't received your May delivery yet, and you don't want to know about either of the magazines before you've had a chance to read stop listening now okay hopefully that is everyone gone who needs to go so this week i'm speaking to francesca sears the director of special projects at magnum photos about the first issue of magnum chronicles a brilliant magazine printed on newsprint and dedicated to a different subject each time This first one is called A Brief Visual History in the Time of ISIS and it's the result of five years of work by photographer and historian Peter van Aksmael who has trawled through the Magnum archives to present a long-form photographic study of ISIS and the conditions that led to their existence. So it stretches right back from 1941 right up to 2017. It's a totally absorbing and refreshingly original approach to the subject and Francesca speaks about their determination to present a view of the organisation that doesn't fall into the common tropes of black flags and beheadings and actually challenges the way that ISIS has been able to create and propagate their images via the media. She also gives a really interesting insight into why they at Magnum decided to launch this project now, producing their own print newspaper for the first time as a response to the changes we've seen across the news media. As I said, if you're a Stack subscriber, this magazine is on its way to you now as I speak. If you're not a subscriber, you can still receive this month's double delivery while stocks last. Just sign up at stackmagazines.com and we'll get your magazines out to you. And if you use the code PODCAST while you're at it, you'll get 10% off our regular prices. Okay, that's it from me for now. Let's head over to the Magnum offices here in London to hear from Francesca Sears. All right, Francesca. Thank you very much for making time to see me.
1: No problem at all. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I feel like you've stage managed this room. The, like we're literally surrounded <laughs> by piles and piles of photo books.
1: That's right. Yes. So this is. So we're sitting in the room, which is one of the um, the libraries that we have at the um, Print Room in London, and we have a huge number of books here, ranging from um, books from the forties all the way through to the present day, individual photographers and group books. So. I haven't stage managed it, but it's a good place to have a conversation. (laughs) Because we're here to speak about
0: a brand new Magnum project. So can you tell us what exactly is Magnum Chronicles?
1: Absolutely. So this is um, the agency's first um, attempt at making a newspaper, which we're going to make available, and we have made available freely to the public. Um, It's a new vehicle that we're trying to um, use as a way of Uh, exploring our archive and exploring issues of our modern time. Um, For a long time now we've wanted to create something that, a publication or or something that we could get out to the public that was much more accessible and affordable than some of the other products that we've made. Um, So it's really trying to reach out to a wide consumer audience um, with issues and on subjects that we as Magnum Agency, have been photographing for, you know, some subjects for 70 to 80 years now.
0: So I guess when, when most people think of a, a Magnum publication, they'll think of one of these big, thick books that is beautifully made and probably quite expensive. The, so part of the aim with this is
1: to get some, a product out in front of a much broader audience. Absolutely, yes. I mean, we, you know, for some, we might be considered a bit of an elitist organisation that's creating very beautiful but quite rarefied products. Um, so yes, you absolutely can buy you know, wonderful fine art prints from us, um, you, can, you can buy beautiful curated books from us, um, but also you know, we are trying to, to create products that um, reach a new audience that are affordable, or free in this case, um, but also speak to people on the same subjects and the same issues that you know, have been of interest and concern to our photographers for nearly uh, 75 years now.
0: Uh, So let's talk about the subjects then, because you've started strong with this one. You've gone straight in uh, with a brief visual history in the time of ISIS.
1: So tell us, first of all, how did this whole thing come about? Absolutely. So uh, this particular issue um, arises out of a a long-term interest of one of our photographers, Peter van Achtmel, who has spent um, probably upwards of five years looking and reviewing the archive of his peers, um, as well as taking a lot of interest himself in photographing on the issues um, around conflict um, in the Middle East, but also the, the returning um, uh, soldiers to the US and how the impact um, of, of military might has affected his home country as well as those uh, from the US uh, overseas. So he's had a long-term interest in, in, in looking at the region and, and actually himself is a historian, so he has quite a critical eye um, when it comes to looking at the archive.
0: And that archive goes, I mean, as you already said, like, it goes right back to the 50s. So the, you, we, we begin with pictures in here that were taken the, uh, uh, just post the Second World War, I imagine, as, as this whole region is being divided up and the borders are being drawn that are causing so many problems now.
1: That's right. Yeah, I think the first photograph is from the 1940s in this particular publication, but we have images from the mid 30s, so from the Spanish Civil War in the archive itself. And last year we celebrated our 70th anniversary, so we you know, we're heading into into the 75th year of some of the images now. That's
0: extra. I, I don't understand how someone begins pulling stuff from an archive that sort of size. How did the creative process actually work?
1: Yeah, well, for this particular issue, Peter um, has had a huge number of images that he's been collating and slowly honing to to create this final edit of, I think, about 45 images. Um, But I can tell you we started with many more at the beginning. Um, And genuinely, it's a process that Peter undertook uh, himself, but also with some of his colleagues, some other magnum photographers who are particularly um, au fait with the region and would understand, you know, the particularities of what should be shown or would, you know, would, would add value to the discussion about ISIS in the region. Um, so, yes, it was, it was predominantly Peter's, um, P- Peter's editing process.
0: And there's a a distinct um, narrative, I think, that comes through the pictures. And that's picked out uh, very well by another Peter, Peter Harling, who um, you've had write a a timeline and an essay for this. Um, And he talks about the way that these images actually don't really... There's not a lot of death in these images. I mean, there there are a couple that are very striking that we can talk about. But overall, the, the aim of this seems to be to show... ISIS in a different light.
1: Yes, that's right. In, in some ways, it's, it's the absence of the imagery that ISIS wants us to see. Um, so there are a couple of images where you do see quite, quite graphic material. Um, and, you know, I, I did speak um, to quite a few experts on the subject, um, as we were putting this together, to get their read on these particular images. Uh, one of them um, of the the beheading, it's probably the most graphic that we can talk about, um, is a particularly unusual image insofar as it was shot in 2013 at a time almost just before ISIS was actually uh, had taken sort of ownership over their propaganda machine of how they wanted to represent themselves. So Emin Osman, who is Turkish, uh, came across the border uh, to Syria and actually was present during that image, shooting that image, and actually he was he was very much allowed to be part of that scene. Um, it wasn't sort of covert in any way. It made him feel incredibly sick um, to be present, um, but he really felt it was an important moment for him to document um, and for him to be a witness to what was going on. Um, so for us in the West, we've seen much more sort of... Um, measured and manipulated if you like images of what what ices want us to see in the press um so this is quite a sort of pure image if you like if you can say that um, about that horrific moment um and then and then yes i mean it's really it's, it's the absence of the black flag so you don't really see i don't think you see any in fact in, throughout the whole uh, publication and that's very much a, a conscious effort not to um sort of propagate uh, their their war machine
0: and, and so instead we see what well, we see a huge range of stuff. There, there's quite a lot um, which focuses on the absurdity of, of uh, this really, really quite small organisation exercising such enormous influence over the world. There, there's some that show the just the, the everyday life of uh, an ISIS soldier. The, there's a, a, a one that's really stuck with me is um, a room... Uh, that's been photographed after ISIS have left in a hurry. And there's the, the, um, the trimmings from a beard on the ground. And basically the point is that somebody has quickly tried to shave so that they can blend into the, the surroundings. That, I mean, it's just such a, a remarkable set of pictures. Have you spoken to Peter directly about the stuff that he had to leave out that he couldn't fit in?
1: I have. I mean, that I particularly like that image myself um, because you really have a sense of, of the humanity of, you know, even even those that you may not agree with um, and those that find themselves, you know, trying to, to flee a scenario that perhaps, you know, they have ultimately created. Um, yeah, so Peter has, I mean, he has dived and diced and, you know, there are very many ways that you can uh, review the archive to give a sense of this um, this history of this region. Um and yeah, we have toed and froed in all sorts of directions to come to this particular edit. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a fascinating process, but he would tell you more about that than I. <laughs> okay,
0: all right. We're not going to speak for Peter. No, I can't do that. <clears throat> so the, in terms of the, the beginning of, of this process, I mean, I, I, I would guess that Magnum is more used to selling their pictures to newspapers which then print those pictures how big a shift
1: was it for you to say okay actually we're going to have our own newspaper yes so you know we've seen as everyone else has seen a huge demise in the editorial market um internationally not just in the uk um you know people are not paying for their for their quality news anymore um so we are not selling as many images as we used to. Uh, we're not finding that um, there's enough space for the sorts of photography and the photojournalism in particular that we shoot on a, a regular basis um, in the regular national and international press. So for us, um, creating a product which was newsprint, which is sort of harking back to you know the, the, the earliest days and the, really the DNA of the agency um, in, in telling long form stories, um, felt like an important sort of, um, statement to make, um, partly that we, know, we we like to see images in the printed press. Um, we, you know, feel that perhaps there's still a market and an interest for long form, uh, journalism and long form photo essays. So this is really a, a vehicle for that sort of, um, approach to storytelling, which unfortunately we don't, we don't have the space for in, you know, in, in, in the general press. Mm -hmm. Um, and so far, the reception has been incredibly good, you know, for the right sorts of um, uh, certain types of audiences. People are, you know, are, are dying to have time to spend on one single subject in an in-depth um, way. And um, yes, I mean, I mean, it's a question of, you know, what's next? You know, what's the next subject? And there's so many ways that you can look at the archive. So it's, um, yeah, I definitely feel that the appetite, you know, so far the appetite has definitely been there for these sort of long form essays.
0: So what can you tell us about what's next? Is there, uh, did, do you know what you're going to be doing next?
1: Um, I'm, I am in discussion with a number of photographers about a few different topics. Um, I think one of the things that we do feel is important um, is, you know, that we want to cover subjects which are of wide general interest, are of um, particular importance or pertinence today for one reason or another. Um, you know, issues may arise in the next couple of years when you want to to quickly make a, an edition an addition of the paper because it makes you know good sense. Some may percolate over a longer period of time. Um, you know, we will sort of try and find partners and sponsors who who care about the issues that we care about to help try and produce more of these um, papers on particular themes. Um, and that's all I can tell you at this stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but but it's interesting. It sounds like that you've made this thing. It's now out in the world. Are you now finding that the photographers
1: are coming to you and saying, right, I want to do one of these on? Absolutely. Uh, We, you know, I found that um, there's lots of issues that people are, are dying to actually have. A chance to, to dive into the archive. I mean, it's not for everybody, you know, it takes a certain type of uh, photographer, person, editor, curator who who has the time, but also the inclination to do that kind of deep dive on one single subject. Um, so it's fascinating and brilliant to see people among the photographers stepping up and, and, and being intrigued about how they might manifest, uh, you know, a paper on an issue. Um, you know, and I, and I hope in the future it won't just be, you know, necessarily difficult and, you know, maybe maybe none will be quite as controversial as our first issue. But, um, you know, that there should be some some lighter subjects too. I mean, this should be a fun vehicle for exploring issues, not just, um, you know, difficult subject matter.
0: Uh, and that will, I presume, be led by the photographers themselves.
1: It will. It will absolutely be led by the photographers and their, their interests and uh, their curiosities and... Um, and their concerns, you know, what is what is perplexing them um, in any one time. So, yeah. Because am I right in saying that Sir Magnum was started by a group of photographers? Absolutely, yes. It was um, it was uh, founded by four photographers, um, Robert Kappa, David Seymour, George Roger um, and Henri Cartier-Bresson. And that was uh, founded in 1947. Um, and since then, yeah, it's a cooperative. So photographers vote upon each other to become a member of the agency. Um, and now we have... I think something like 50 members, but about 100 photographers that we represent, archives, estates, contributors, uh, part of the whole Magnum family.
0: I, I, I mean, for me, fascinating to see how, so back then in the 50s, these photographers came together and they started their own agency to sell to newspapers. And now here we are, 2018, the technology has changed, we're now all of us, if we want to, able to print our own newspaper, as you've just proven, and so actually the direction changes slightly, you say, well, let's, let's do this ourselves, rather than
1: waiting for someone to mediate it for us. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, and at the agency, we, we always talk about a couple of key um, mainstays of what it means to be part of Magnum, be a Magnum photographer, one of which is authorship, Um, and one of which is storytelling authentic storytelling Um, so this newspaper is a vehicle for exactly that Um, and that's you know exciting to kind of have a manifestation that we can be in control of from beginning to end um, in a reasonably you know timely quick fashion not too expensive um, and which has wide public appeal so it's yeah it's a very exciting time to be um, in control of your your publishing platform
0: uh, and so we, we should mention Newspaper Club in all of this, because uh, you printed with Newspaper Club, fantastically ingenious company that lets you print your own stuff. Brilliant. Okay, to tell us about the process of working with them.
1: Yeah, they have been fantastic, I will say, from start to finish. So yes, I went to them proposing the idea that we would have, uh, you know, this would be the first of many issues coming forward. Um, and they, they've been, you know, hand in hand, brilliant partner all the way. Uh, we did several test print runs with them, um, you know, colour correcting and and so on to get exactly as best as we could you know you never really know where the newspaper print run um but they you know held our hand and chaperoned us through that process uh, so i can't say enough good stuff so thank you to newspaper club <laughs> <laughs>
0: and where will people I mean, obviously aside from in stack deliveries but the, we didn't get all of your copies so we're, we're
1: whereabouts are these things actually going out into the world So for this particular issue, it was really important for us to be a little bit more curated and directional in where we uh, place the publications um, because of the subject matter and the sensitivity of some of the images that you find. So they're they're to be found in places where, you know, bookshops and galleries um, at events of around journalism, photojournalism, um, international relations, politics, so places where you might expect... Expect to find these sorts of issues covered and discussed. Um, and uh, so it's been, we've had it at World Press Photo, it will be at Visa pour l'Image, um, Bayeux Correspondence Festival in uh, France, in Perugia Journalism Festival, and I could go on and on. <laughs> we have a long list on our site. So, yes, it's available in, in uh, Germany, France, Italy, um, gosh, and uh, moving also in Hong Kong, China, and Singapore soon. Wow. And, and can people just buy a copy from you? Is so there somewhere they can get hold of one? Uh, we had an amount that we put aside specifically for people to buy just for postage and packaging from our site, but that is now sold out. Oh God, right. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm handling for a second print run um, to be determined.
0: One of the the most satisfying elements of the whole magazine, so obviously I only saw this just before we sent it out on stack, is the way that you've got the whole thing in English and Arabic, and you've got the English running from what we think of as front to back and then you've got the arabic running as like in the opposite direction who was doing your design for this it's just that's so beautifully considered
1: so this is the second publication if you like of its sort where we were trying to reach a wider demographic than we would usually reach so we first did a publication called europa which was a handbook for migrants and refugees Um, and this was a book that we produced, um, supported by Afac, the Arab Cultural Fund, specifically to reach migrants and refugees um, from the Middle East and, you know, travelling all the way through Central Europe. Uh, so we did that in English, Arabic, Farsi, and, and French. So. On the back of that, we kind of understood the importance of having um, second languages. And this, for this particular product, especially on the region, I really wanted to have it in Arabic as well. Um, and so naturally that does read back to front and front to back, opposite the way we read. Uh, so that was very important. And in, in future issues, you know, we would hope to also have other languages, whatever made sense pertinent to the issues or the, or the regions in which we distributed. Um, so it was Yolanda Cuomo, uh, a book designer from uh, New York and her team, that actually put this together and helped us create the um, publication.
0: Well, it is uh, a very beautiful and absorbing thing. uh, And I'm really pleased we sent it on Stack. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what this next subject is gonna be all about.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you for distributing through Stack. We appreciate it.
0: Okay, that's all for this week. It's not at all surprising that Francesca's initial run has totally sold out. There's so much interest around Magnum and the things that they do, and this is a fantastically thoughtful magazine. As I said, we do have some copies in the warehouse, so sign up at stackmagazines.com and we'll send one to you. It's worth saying that they'll probably only last for the next week or so, so you should do that sooner rather than later, and we can't guarantee we'll be able to send this particular mag to everyone. If you listened to last week's episode, you'll know that I said this episode would be coming from the Bruno Biennial in the Czech Republic. Unfortunately, that didn't come to pass. My wife is stuck at home ill at the moment, so I've had to stay around here to look after her and our little boy. But the Stack exhibition is still on at the Bruneau Biennial, and it will be on for the next three months. So if you find yourself in that part of the world this summer, do check it out. I've only seen pictures so far, but there were tons of excellent magazines there from all around the world, and actually the rest of the Biennial looks really interesting too or if you can't make it over to bruno check out all our previous episodes and you'll find tons of great magazines waiting for your attention just search for stack magazines on soundcloud or itunes and if you follow us while you're there we'll be able to deliver next week's episode to you as soon as it's ready okay thanks very much for listening and we'll be back with another episode next week